I'm Nicole Doyley, and this is season seven of Let's Talk Conversations on Race. On Let's Talk, we discuss various topics on race, hoping to spark conversation and foster greater understanding, empathy, and healing. You can subscribe to Let's Talk on your favorite podcast platform. And now, if you prefer to watch these interviews, you can subscribe to my YouTube channel, Nicole Doyley. Now, let's talk. My mom really did feel that assimilation was best for us. She wanted us to be American. I think she felt like it would be easier for us, that that was the better thing. And she didn't want us to experience some of the hardships she's had because she experienced a lot of racism around her accent. And that hard for her, she didn't want that for us. And she would tell us very explicitly, I want you to be American. I want you to have American names. I don't want you to speak like a Korean. For my mom, there was an element of survival to that. Like, I think it at times felt like survival. Today on Let's Talk, we're going to be talking about being biracial Korean and sort of the quest for a sense of belonging and a sense of being enough. And on the last episode, I spoke with Tasha June, who um, just published a book called Tell Me the Dream Again, Reflections on Family, Ethnicity, and the Sacred Work of Belonging. And she spoke about being half Korean and half white and growing up feeling like she didn't belong anywhere, which I could really relate to. So it was really great to have it, that conversation in here, her perspective. And today we're going to be continuing that conversation with Melody Walgren. Welcome, Melody. Thank you so much. I'm really excited and appreciative to be here. Oh, good. <laughs> excited to have you. I know a little bit of Melody's story and I can't wait to hear more of it. So so first, can you tell us a little bit about yourself, introduce yourself, maybe what your profession is, your kids, your husband, that kind of thing? Sure. Yeah. So for work, I'm a clinical social worker and I have uh, my own private practice as a psychotherapist. For the most part, I work... Um, I kind of specialize and work with adults around issues of trauma. And over the last few years, a large bulk of my work has been around racial trauma um, and also issues of identity. So racial identity issues and then also gender identity issues. So um, I do provide gender affirming care and that has um, been an increasing part of my caseload that I'm, that I'm happy to offer. I do have two kiddos. I'm married. Um, to essentially, I kind of hate to say this because it sounds really cheesy, but to my high school sweetheart, we're 18 and they're still married. Um, and then we have two little kiddos, two sons. They are five and seven, and they're both about to turn a year older next month. Wow. Wonderful. Wonderful. Thank you. So, and now can you tell us about your family of origin? So your parents, how they met, where you grew up? Yeah. So um, I have a relatively small, um, you know, immediate family. It's my parents and then an older sister. My, uh, my mother is Korean um, and she and my father is white. Um, my father was stationed in Korea in a base in the Seoul area in, during the Vietnam War. And my mother was um, cut hair for GIs near the base. And they met when she cut his hair. Um, my mother did not speak English. My dad did not speak Korean. I'm not exactly sure how that all played out, um, but it did. And um, it didn't take very long um, until, you know, they started a relationship. And then my mom ended up um, moving to the States with my dad and having my sister and I, they originally moved to Mississippi 
which neither of them had ever been to. But uh, my mom had a really close cousin, someone that she considered you know, to be like a sister to her who lived in Mississippi because she had married an American GI who was from there. So they settled there for a little bit. But then ironically, um, I, I call her my emo, which is the Korean word for aunt. They ended up moving a little further away. And then um, after that happened, I think my parents, especially my mom, felt a little bit untethered from not having family or someone nearby. It was Mississippi in the 70s and early 80s, so um, not the most welcoming environment, and that was difficult. So they ended up then, when I was about eight years old, moving to upstate New York, where my dad was from, um, I think, to, to be near family. That also didn't end up working out great because my dad doesn't have a real close relationship with his family. But in any case, that's kind of how they picked it. Um, so the bulk of my childhood that I remember, the memorable years, were in we're in a medium-sized city in upstate New York. My sister's five and a half years older than me. So, you know, we grew up in the same house, obviously with the same parents, but I think we had very different experiences. You know, that's enough of a age gap that we were doing different things. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so I don't think we really became close until we were adults because, you know, my sister graduated high school and went to college when I was still in sixth grade. Like it just, you know, we were in different places. Yeah, right. Well, can we back up one little bit? I'm just so intrigued by um, your parents meeting and beginning relationships. So when your dad discharged from the military or whatever, when his stint there was done, did he come back to the States first and then kind of send for your mom? Or how did that, how did it work for them to get together in America? (laughs) Yes. So my dad ended up getting an early discharge because my grandmother was hospitalized and then ultimately ended up passing away. And so they gave him, I don't know exactly what it's called, but basically a waiver to be able to go home. And he was the, the only son. And so they ended up, I think he was, you know, close to the end of his stint. So they ended up discharging him early when he came home for that. And then he, yeah, he sent for my mom um, and they did a very quickie courthouse wedding, you know, um, so that she could get a green card and that, yeah. And then she, she came in to be honest. I don't even know that she spoke English when she came here. So again, it's all a little bit of a mystery to me how that, how that really ended up working or, you know, ultimately not working um, in the end, but um but yeah, they, and they they always downplayed it whenever my sister and I would ask, like, really, you're going to move all the way across the country for someone that you've, I mean, not really had a conversation with. But I think that was also part of it. Um, the Korea that my mom grew up in was very, it's a different Korea than it is now. My, my mom really grew up in poverty. Um, her family were refugees from the North. Um, so she was a young child during the war. There were still a lot of effects from the Japanese occupation. It was a very difficult life for my mom. And I think she really was looking for a way out. She really wanted to leave. Um, and I do think that's, that's part of her story. And then ultimately part of my story, because I do think that impacted how she saw coming to the U S how she saw becoming an American, how she wanted us to be Americans. Mm -hmm. for her, that was the better life. Wow, yeah. It reminds me so much of my interview with with uh, Tasha June, her similar age, I think you are, and um, so parents similar age, and just the same, her mom just growing up in a really difficult situation and in, in Korea. And so, wow. Um, 
So you sort of began to allude to this. So you're mm -hmm. in upstate New York um, when you're eight years old or even before upstate mm -hmm. New York when you were little. Did your mom um, try to teach you a few Korean words and um, read you books about Korea and teach you about Korean culture or, or not? <laughs> um, no, there was no intentional um you know, education about that. I think we got some residuals because, you know, she was always on the phone with Korean family. So we heard her speaking Korean. Um, she had Korean friends. We ate Korean food. That's what she knew how to cook. Um, but over time, that became less and less, right? She then had white friends and American friends. Her English improved, so she could have conversations with white folks. She learned how to make some American meals. So some of that dissipated, um, you know, the words we knew, um, you know, that I still know are like family names, you know, things we, you know, sort of things that we used over and over, but, um, but there was never a intention to teach us the language or to maintain that. And, you know, it took me a long time um, to understand that I think there was some intention to not do that. Mm -hmm. My mom really did feel that assimilation was best for us. She wanted us to be American. I think mm -hmm. she felt like it would be easier for us that that was mm -hmm. the better thing. Mm -hmm. And she didn't want us to experience some of the hardships she's had. So she didn't want us to have accents because she experienced a lot of racism around her accent. She didn't move until she was in her thirties. Mm -hmm. So, you know, even to this day, she, you know, she's 78, she still has a heavy accent. And that made it hard for her. She didn't want that for us. Um, and she would tell us very explicitly, I want you to be American. I want you to have American names. I do not want you to have Korean names. I don't want you to speak like a Korean. You need to be American. Mm. Wow. I'm just thinking because I think my father was raised similarly. You know, he was black. So um, that that's different. But at the same time, I think because, you know, he was born in the late 30s, his mom was born in 13, 1913. So just growing up um, during such a terrible time, terrible time in America to be black, she taught him to sound, quote unquote, sound white, that almost like to be successful is to be as white as possible. Yeah. Um, so he couldn't blend in because of his skin color, but at the same time, there was not a intentional effort to help him to be proud of being black. Um, there wasn't really black pride. Um, it's not like he, I don't think he was ashamed to be black, but he didn't have that sense of being proud of who he was. Yeah. And I think, you know, I have empathy for my mom now. And I wonder if it was the same for, you know, in that case of like, parents doing the best you can, right? Mm -hmm. And really trying to do right by your kids, but we don't always know how to do that. Yeah. You know, and then I think we, you know, my mom was carrying her own trauma around yes. her and that undoubtedly impacted her parenting. And so I think it's just a very complex decision. So I, I have some grief around not, you know, and at times I was angry with my mom for not teaching us that or giving us that. But I think I have more empathy for that now as a parent, right? Mm -hmm. I, I can kind of get, it's hard. Yeah, you're right. I've said before, like, you'll do anything for your kids. Mm -hmm. So, you know, when there was discrimination against Germans in, in the World War II era, they 
if your last name was B-R-A-U-N, you changed it to brown like the color so that your last name didn't look so German. Or if you were Jewish, Greenberg, you changed it to just green, you know? And so this was a sacrificing your heritage in order to give a better life to your kids. Mm. Yeah. Um, Because I think for my mom, there was an element of survival to that, right? Like I think it at times felt like survival. Yes, right. And so owning that heritage was dangerous. Yes. Yeah, and and you could be in danger for that. And I think I think she felt that. Yeah, yeah. So I don't know what your sister looks like, but you look Korean. Um, so that's so always funny to me because I get very mixed. Um, I get mixed feedback about that. Um, so, but growing up, so my sister, what we were always told, my sister looks more like my dad. I look more like my mom. That was it. Was like a everywhere we went right as a little girl and they were like you look just like your mom and i learned very quickly oh that means i look asian yeah nice um, <laughs> yeah and and my sister looks less asian so um and you know i had mentioned earlier my sister and i have different experiences of our childhood i think that was part of it my sister mm-hmm. we've talked about it as adults she has a very different experience of her race and how that impacted her than i did mm-hmm. um people did not comment as much to her about it she did experience racism, um, but not quite in the same ways that I did. And I, I have to assume that it's because she looks, she looks more white than I do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I, I think of, you know, my sister um, was married to a white man. So her kids are who her kids are white passing. Mm-hmm. You might think they're Hispanic or something, but and me marrying a black man, my kids are definitely not white passing. They look like black, young mm-hmm. black men. And so our parenting has looked, I'm sure there's some overlap when it comes to race, but in general, I think it has looked very different. Yeah. And so that's a little bit similar. My, my sister married a, um, you know, very fair, blonde, blue eyed man and her children are very fair, you know, like sandy blonde <laughs> little kids. And my husband has, you know, some darker features. So my kids have darker hair. And I wouldn't, I would say that they probably are white passing. I can't really tell, honestly. Like, I feel like I can't discern that. And people say the same thing about, especially my oldest son, when we're together, they say, oh my goodness, he looks exactly like you. Mm-hmm. And I've never actually asked, but I do wonder, like, do you think he looks Asian then? Like, right. <laughs> you know that? Um, but they look different. And my sister has alluded to that before when I talked to her about, you know, some some parenting and conversations about race. And she said, your kids look different than mine. They're going to have to have different conversations than my kids. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Good on her to recognize that. Yeah. yeah. So you, you mentioned um, experiencing racism. Talk about that. Talk about what it was like growing up in that medium-sized city and any experiences with racism growing up? Yeah, um, I wouldn't, um, I didn't have, it wasn't the worst, you know, I wasn't like beat up or, you know, really tortured, but it was really difficult. I still, um, my husband, I mentioned we've known each other since high school, his, he still has family there. So we, we occasionally, we, we still go there at times. And I still have kind of a visceral reaction to being there. It was not a it was not a pleasant place for me to be. Um, I don't have fond memories of growing up there. He has a very different experience. His was a little bit more idyllic, you know, like out in the country, climbing trees and, you know, playing in the stream. Um, you know, part of that too was, again, you know, my mom grew up in poverty. We grew up in poverty too. So that was also made things very difficult. Um, but 
you know, I would say early on, I first noticed racism, not that I knew that was the word for it, but with how my mom was treated. And I mm -hmm. can see that we would go places, right? And I would see how people would talk to her. I would hear the things they would say to her, to her face and behind her back. Mm -hmm. um, I would kind of hear side comments. Um, I was a very quiet child and very observant. So I picked up a lot on that. Mm -hmm. um, you know, my again, my mom kind of had some broken English when I was young and, and, a, and a heavy accent. People would refuse to talk to her. Just learn and come back when you learn English. Um, so initially, I think I really saw it kind of inflicted on my mom. Mm -hmm. And then and then, you know, I experienced my own. So mm -hmm. um, lots of racial slurs. Um, even as kids, I don't I don't think these kids knew what they were saying. But, um, you know, quoting racist movies um, that would have a lot of sexually explicit kind of Asian women fetishism quotes. Mm -hmm. They would kind of, I would say hurl. It felt like that. It felt very assaulting yeah. um, at me. And yeah, it was it like it was always a known thing of like, oh, you see me as different. Like, I mean, people would tell me pretty quickly. Yeah. And it wasn't a good thing. Right. So did you therefore not feel proud to be half Korean? Did you distance yourself, like as you enter your teenage years, distance yourself from your mom at all, either emotionally or even physically? Um, did, did, you try, did you try to not be Korean? <laughs> yes, all of those things. Um, and I feel a little bit of shame and embarrassment in saying that, but yeah, I did. Um, you know, I, I got the message, Korean's bad, Asian's bad. Like you, you wanna look like everybody else. Um, and so I didn't want to be, and I, and I would stare in the mirror and be like, I don't really look Korean. Like, see, these are all the ways. If I just open my eyes really wide, then I'll look whiter or, I mean, ridiculous things, but nonetheless things, you know, if I can wear the right clothes and, and some of that I think is being an adolescent, right. And mm -hmm. wanting to fit in. And so then you add in the layer of race though. And then I think it just mm -hmm. yeah. it even more. So I definitely went through that. I, I went through a period where I felt really embarrassed of my mom. I didn't want her to come to school events. I didn't want people to know she was my mom. I didn't, I, if we would go places, I, um, I would be the one to speak first. And I, and it was very intentional on my part of, oh, you're going to know that I speak English and you're going to know that I speak native English. And, and so I took from a very young age and, and my sister did this too, but we kind of took control in the, those situations and we became the translator. We became kind of the front facing person for our family because, because of that. And, you know, and I think that had impact, right? Like, I think we were parentified early yes. for some of those reasons. Wow. Yeah. So I would say growing up and, and I really, I think I was pretty good at assimilating, quite frankly. Like, I think I learned that I kind of learned how to, downplay the Korean stuff and, you know, like do that. So there would be times in, in, I've thought about this, you know, over the years that, so if I would go to a new school, like when we first moved, there was kind of an onslaught of racism and things. And then once people kind of got to know me, it would die down. Right. And then, you know, I would kind of settle in and then it was always the next time I went to another school. So then it was when I went to middle school mm -hmm. and then it, without doubt, the first day of school, it would just be a barrage again. Right. And yes. then it sort of over the, you know, a couple of years that I was there begin to kind of simmer down and I could assimilate and then go to high school and it would just erupt again. Mm -hmm. so, 
Yeah. It was always when I was ever in new situations that it would kind of be what felt like kind of like a slap in the face of like, oh, no, you still you still are different. Like, <laughs> just a reminder. Did you have a small group, a sort of small tribe posse that you took with you from elementary to middle school to high school of friends that you felt like you belonged with or? I did. So I did have some really great friends, you know, a couple of them I'm still good friends with. And so I had good relationships. And that's why I say it wasn't, you know, it wasn't a torturous childhood. I had good relationships. You know, I had some positive experiences. We never talked about race Mm -hmm. with I don't ever remember having conversations with them. They never asked. Mm-hmm. I mean, surely they heard and saw some things, mm-hmm. but I never brought it up either. I never shared what that was like. Their parents never mentioned it to me. I never, it was just an unspoken. Yes. Yeah. Thing. Yeah. I get that. Yeah. yeah. I, I hear that. Um, when you talked about growing up poor, it reminded me growing up, definitely working class. I don't know, maybe poor. I'm not sure, but definitely working class. And then some of the friends that I made were affluent and so there was a race and a class difference that sort of combined to be like you you don't really belong here you are different um they didn't treat me badly or anything like that but i felt it like i want to go to your house i don't want you to come to my house (laughs) i definitely had that and there were and there were a couple friends where i just kind of lived at their houses yes (laughs) i spent as much time as i could there yeah. And their parents were very welcoming. But, um, you know, I, I have always wondered, like, I do wonder what they, you know, they, they were adults, right? Like they saw things, they, they were adults, they had adult knowledge around it. And I, I do kind of always wonder what, what their experience, what they were thinking, what, mm-hmm. why they didn't, you know, say anything, but, but then their actions, like they welcomed me in. Yes. With something. So, yeah. When you- when you're a kid, that's what matters. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And at the time, I didn't want people to bring it up, right? Yeah. I, that was not some, if someone had mentioned it to me, I would have, I would have, tam- I would have yeah. avoided that. Yeah. When I talked with Tasha June, um, she told a story of her mother making kimchi, and a little, and one of her friends, a um, white friend, came knocking on her door, and she opened the door shut it behind her, talk to her friend outside so that they wouldn't smell the kimchi and made an excuse why she couldn't come out and play and then close the door quickly so that her friend wouldn't, Absolutely. yeah, wouldn't smell it. It's yeah. Just Absolutely. Positive. Yeah. Positive. Yeah. Cause I didn't like, cause that, I, I would hear it. People would tell me that's gross. That's disgusting. That smells bad. Your mom smells bad. You yeah. smell bad. Your house smells bad. Wow. wow. I, I still have, um, um, a couple years ago, one, my one of my sons, we were, you know, making a Korean meal, and he said that smells gross, and it was an immediate trigger for me of mm-hmm. like just, and to hear it come out of my son's mouth, yeah, was was so upsetting to me, yeah, you know, and he, I mean, he's he was like four, like right. it was just a different smell, thing. yeah, he thinks broccoli is gross, like right. you know, right. yeah, but it was just this instant, right, hurt that came back. Yeah, right. Yes, and wanting to uh, ameliorate that very quickly. Um, like, no, it's delicious. Try it out. So that yes, yes, yes. <laughs> yeah. So when did you begin to get in touch with your Korean heritage and to become proud of it? Yeah, there were, there were moments of it. Um, I had, I think I was maybe like ninth or 10th grade. Um, I had the opportunity, um, an older cousin, invited me quite older um 
you know, I think they were probably late twenties when I was, you know, 13 or 14 or something like that, um, invited me to stay with her and her husband in Chicago for mm. the summer. Mm. And I was very excited. And, and so my mom is a little bit of an outlier in her, in her family that, that lives in the U S of most of the, the rest of my extended family is very embedded in Korean communities. Mm. And so when I went to Chicago and stayed with my cousin, everything was Korean, right? Like, almost everything we ate was Korean. She went to a Korean church. She was, she's a piano teacher. Almost all of her students were Korean. Like it was just everywhere. Um, and I ended up going, the the youth group for the church was having a trip, like a weekend trip, you know, someplace in the mountains or something. Um, and I was allowed to go. And so I was with all these Korean kids that were my age. I'd never experienced that other than, you know, than I, I saw cousins occasionally, but we didn't live near them. So yeah. Um, so this was completely new to me and it was astounding. Like I was just kind of like, oh, these these kids are cool. They're funny. They're smart. They're like they're not, you know, like geeky kind of like the stereotype losers that no one wants to hang out with. Mm-hmm. And it was the first time I remember even looking around and thinking like, oh, like some of these girls are beautiful. Like I never thought Korean or Asian people were beautiful. And so that was pretty eye-opening and I feel like I I was like in I was like I started learning Korean on my own I was like totally <laughs> into it That's and awesome. I came back at the end of the summer and it was like a rude awakening and it was just like nobody wanted to hear about that nobody was supportive of that um, and it pretty quickly dissipated mm-hmm. um it would have been perfect for your mom to say okay let's sit down and start learning some more korean but she probably didn't want to touch that she didn't and my mom we were poor my mom was working a lot yeah so you know she was also again surviving you know she was working multiple jobs and there wasn't there wasn't a lot of time to be doing that you know she wasn't a stay-at-home mom who could you know do yeah. home lessons so yeah. i think that was part of it too mm-hmm. you know and then um you know and that's just kind of how it went and then I, when I went to college, when I was choosing a college, um, it, you know, it's funny, I, I keep meaning to look, but I never have. I thought I was picking this very diverse college. I think it's probably not as diverse as I thought it was, but, but I remember looking at like the, the pie chart demographic mm-hmm. and seeing whatever it was, 30, 40% and thinking like, okay, yes, I, that's what I want. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a priority to me. And that was a big factor in why I picked where I went and I went and and it, it gave me what I was looking for. Like I showed up and I was suddenly in the storm with people who look different and different religions. And mm-hmm. after coming from such a sheltered high school and kind of community, it, it blew my mind, you know? And then all of a sudden I had a best friend who was Indian and Hindu and another close friend who was Chinese and Buddhist. And then like, and it just kind of exploded my world. Wow. And all the yeah, in all the good ways. Did you experience anything kind of negative from them in terms of like not being Korean enough? Or were you all in the same boat? Or did you feel have any imposter syndrome or anything like that when you were with them? Yeah, um, not a lot. There was one, um, the Chinese friend that I um, that I had um, was, I think, joining like a, a Chinese fraternity or something. And, you know, people were kind of doing that. And you know, there was like an Asian sorority or something. And, and he made, he made a comment, he made a joke. Oh, but you're not Asian enough to be in that. Oh. 
a joke. It was a joke. His intention was to kind of be playful. Um, I don't think he knew kind of what that impact would have. Mm-hmm. And it was a, it was, you know, it was a, it was a bit of a reminder of mm-hmm. like, you're not quite like, like you're not Asian enough. Right. Like, I mean, that just kind of summed it up. Yeah. So did you carry that at all? Or were you able to sort of squelch that, nip that in the bud? Um, I think I've always carried that, right? Like that's always kind of been a running theme for me, even if it's in the background a bit, you know, of I don't fully feel comfortable in all white spaces because I feel different, but I don't fully feel comfortable in all Asian or all Korean spaces. Even with my Korean family, when we're at a big Korean event, it's my sister and I will share this. We'll, we'll sit like, we, we are the cousins that don't speak Korean. Everyone mm-hmm. else at least has conversational fluence. So we're the ones that everyone has to translate for. We're the ones who don't know all of the traditions and the customs. And so even within our family, it, we feel a little bit like, out, I feel a little bit like an outsider. Like it's, it's not quite enough. Hmm. It sounds like your, your mother's siblings, if your cousins are the kids of your mother's siblings, it sounds like your mother's siblings kind of were able to be more Korean than your mom wanted to be. <laughs> yes. Yes. Most of them. So they, um, like I said, they live in um, predominantly Korean communities. So they live in New York, Atlanta, Chicago, places with large Korean communities. They go to Korean churches. Yeah. Um, I mean, they are still really actively immersed in that. Yeah. My mother is not. Right, right. So right? Um, yeah. And so um, so she is the outlier in her family in that way. Um, and they haven't all married other Koreans. There's a couple who have married um, folks who are non-Korean, but for the most part, they've married other Koreans. Like, yeah. So both sides of the family. Yeah. Isn't that interesting? Who, yeah. you, who you marry and what, where you live is so, so important. And so, Absolutely. yeah, yeah. So, so your husband is white. Yeah. Um, and uh, I have, I, I remember Melody and I used to be neighbors and our cat got chased up the tree <laughs> by the dog and her husband went up the tree to, to rescue our cat. <laughs> so that's one of the memories I, I, that I have. Yeah. Um, so, so your boys are a quarter Korean. Um, and how are you raising them, you know, whether they're white passing or look a little Asian, how are you raising them in terms of inculcating Korean culture and, and helping them to know that heritage? Um, and how do you identify them? Yeah. So, I see them as Korean. Um, and I think partly of that is I see them as part of me as I see them as part of my mother's. So um, I think if I'm being a little more nuanced with it, I'll say a little bit Korean. Because <laughs> I don't want to, my husband will remind me of like, they're not just Korean. Um, <laughs> I was there too. <laughs> exactly. And I'm like, okay, you're right. So, but I do, um, I see them as Korean. And I want them to know that. And so this has been a, a tricky balance or place for me to get to. So they're still little. So we are having conversations about this. I am trying to be much more intentional than my mother was because I, about lots of things. So not just about them being Korean, but about race and about, um, you know, lots of issues that I want to have really open conversations with them about. So I try to be intentional about us having books with Asian characters, Korean characters. We have Korean books. I am not teaching them Korean because I don't know Korean. 
And so that hasn't felt completely authentic to do that. Like there's a little part of me that feels, I don't know, I feel a little impostery about that if I, you know, were to kind of make my, my white passing kids learn Korean. Um, but I want them to know who their family is. That feels really important to me. That's the biggest thing. Um, and I want them to not be ashamed of that. I want them to feel good about that. But it's tricky because lately I have been wondering, I don't know how ultimately they'll identify. And I don't know that they will identify as Korean. I think there's a good chance they might not because mm -hmm. it's not, I think, a part of their day-to-day -day experience, right? Like they're not getting, I don't think, um, you know, called the names I was. They're, they're seen differently. Mm -hmm. And even just, I think like a month ago, my five-year-old, we were in the car and he's talking about, you know, a Japanese artist he's learning about in school and where's Japan. And I said, oh, it's close. It's kind of close to Korea or harmony. Harmony is the word for grandmother or harmony from. And, you know, so where our family's from. And he said, wait, I'm Asian. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and I'm driving the car and I'm like, oh, my goodness. Did he just say that? And then my seven year old says, duh, you're Korean. <laughs> and I was just like, oh my goodness, he do he doesn't, this is like news to him. He did like, it, and I was like, how does he not know that he's Asian? Like we talk about this all the time, but, yeah. but it felt like news to him in that moment. And then, and he kind of sat with that and I was like, yeah, you're a little bit Korean, which is, you know, Asian. and he was like, oh, okay. And then he was like, but I don't look like other Asian kids. Hmm. And I said, that's right. You don't. Mm -hmm. you don't look like and I mentioned a couple you know mm -hmm. other kids in his class and I said you don't look like them because you are not just Korean right mm -hmm. like you also mm -hmm. have Papa's family in you and Papa's family's not and and also Korean people Asian people look different right they don't right. always look the same right right um so yeah. I mean I try to be intentional about conversations like that but but I would be uh, a little bit dishonest for me to say that it, it, that I don't think it will be a little hurtful if ultimately they don't identify as Korean at all. Mm -hmm. I hear that. What your what your younger son said it sort of reminds me when it rains and the ground is hard and not a lot of the water seeps in, and as the soil moistens, more and more seeps in. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that's the same with our kids and identity and probably other things too. But you know, a little bit will seep in. And then it'll rain again and a little bit more will seep in. So even though you've been talking to him about being Korean all along and he's met your mom and, and you know, Korean family, you know, only a little seeped in and now a little bit more has seeped in. So, you know, as that as that ground continues to be watered. Yeah, know. that's my hope. And again, ultimately, I don't want my stuff to interfere with their identity exploration. So I don't know what it'll be like them. I want to support whatever it ends up being. Mm -hmm. um, and I would assume and anticipate that it's going to change, right? Mm -hmm. Just like my own has changed and continues to change. Mm -hmm. I'm sure it will for them too. Mm -hmm. But I at least want them to have a broader experience, a broader view of what that could look like. Because mm -hmm. I feel like mine wasn't very broad. Mine was white, white American is good. Like Korean is bad, right? right. And so it felt very it felt very sharp contrast. I at least want them to see that there's a whole lot in between there yeah. and have them have some agency too in how they view that and where they place themselves within that spectrum. Mm -hmm. And that starts with sort of being proud of, you know, my mom, my grandma, my other extended family, like hearing, you know, when they're old enough, you know, to understand your mom's story and coming here and not speaking any English and what, 
what that must have felt like and how isolating and, yeah. and you know just hearing all that and then and the books that you're reading them and stuff and just like it just seems like so much of it is just to be proud of every aspect of their heritage including the, their white heritage but yes absolutely but to, but to be equally proud of both parts so that even if on a form they check off white <laughs> or whatever you know yeah. It's not because of denial. It's not because of shame. It's just, I look white, so I might as well say I'm white, you know? Um, and that, so that, that piece is very important to me. And it's very important to me in my identity. And I want it to be important to them. I don't want them to, I, I don't want anyone else to determine their identity for them. Just like yeah. I don't want people to do that for me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that, that I feel very, that I have, in the la that, that has only been in the last, like, handful of years that I have started to feel very confident in that of regardless of how you see me, because some people see me as Asian and some people see me as white and some like some people see me as exotic and you look mixed and what are you? And yeah, you know, like you must be Eskimo. Like I don't I've heard all all the things. Um <laughs> and I think I finally have gotten a place was that has no that has no bearing on me. Like that that's your stuff. Mm -hmm. And that's not mine. And it doesn't change what I know about myself. Mm -hmm. And I want that for them. Mm -hmm. That's really beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's a, it, it's curiosity. And it's also like, let me classify you quickly so that I know where to go. <laughs> yeah. Yes. And I, my experience often is it's for their convenience. Let me classify you and how I see you is for my convenience. Yes. Yes. So that I, so that I'm put at ease so that I know where to go in this conversation or where not to go in this conversation. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. And what is yeah. going to benefit me or not. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So interesting. So good. So do you, um, I think this is my last question, unless something else. Yeah. Um, do you feel a kind of camaraderie with other minorities when it comes to social justice issues, racial justice issues, I'm thinking a little bit of what I know about you in terms of your involvement with Great Schools for All, which you could talk about if you'd like, um, and how we met, which was an anti-racist alliance. Well, we met as neighbors first, but yeah. <laughs> um, so do you? Do you feel kind of kind of camaraderie with all kinds of other minorities because of your journey? Yes and no. This one's a little hard for me to answer because okay. I do feel um, this feels complicated to me. I think kind of the short answer would be a little bit <laughs> um, because I don't feel, I feel like I have directly experienced racism. I feel like I've directly been impacted it. And so I have, I have, everyone has their own experience, right? That is not like anyone else's. So I have my own experience. I have direct experience. So I do feel different than my husband. Like we've had conversations and he can read about it. He can hear about it, but ultimately he has never felt it the way that I have. Right. Like he's never, I mean, we have this conversation all the time where I say like, we walked into this and I noticed this and I felt this. And he's like, what? Like, no, I didn't see or yeah. feel or hear any of that. Yeah. And so in that part, I do feel some camaraderie of like, I do have some direct experience, right? Like I do know very personally what it's like to experience racism in, yeah. in very direct personal individual ways and in large structural societal ways. Yeah. And also, though, and I feel this sometimes in some of the activism work I do. And, you know, for example, you mentioned some of the um, 
you know, the anti-racist groups and things where, you know, there are, there are, we live in a pretty white community, but, but in some of these groups, right. um, There are more folks of color. And when I'm in those spaces, I I am also keenly aware that I still do have a lot of privilege, right. I still am half white. I still Mm -hmm. have white skin. Mm -hmm. Right. And so I get a lot of privilege with that. Mm -hmm. A lot, a lot of privilege. And if my husband's standing next to me, I get even more. Mm-hmm. Right. And so I am I I am keenly aware of that. So I also know that I don't have I don't have the same experience as a black man or like mm-hmm. and so in that way I feel like yes, I feel it a little bit, but I still in the same ways my husband can't understand my experience completely, I can't understand that experience. Mm-hmm. 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 And I I mean, that's just it. That is what it is, right? Like none of us knows exactly what that's like, but so I do feel a little bit like another place where I feel a little bit in between, mm-hmm. you know, in this way, I don't necessarily feel it in a wholly negative or a wholly positive way. Mm-hmm. I think it's just more that I just try to be aware of it. Like I, mm-hmm. I'm aware of how there are ways and times that I've benefited from being biracial, you know, at least having some white, you know, and having, you know, ultimately white skin, um, in ways that I have not, right. Mm-hmm. Again, when people see the, see the green side and yeah. So that's why I say it just feels a little complicated to me. Yeah. Yeah. But still, yes, complicated. You have white skin and all of that. So there's privilege. I have privilege because I'm lighter than somebody who's darker, but at the same time, still, still skin in the game. <laughs> Um, I do feel that. Yeah, I do feel that. Yeah, in ways when I talk to white friends, where I'm like, "Oh, this feels different for me." Like, yes. yes. And so, you know, one of the so you mentioned great schools for all. So one of the constant things that I think about is where my children are going to school and the school environment because I had such negative experiences in school. Mm-hmm. And very early on, I vowed I will never send my kids to an all-white school, even though they look white. I will never do that if I have any, if I have any agency mm-hmm. to make that decision. Mm-hmm. We, I happen to live in a community where there aren't a lot of options around that. So I am part of a group that's trying to create some more options. That's trying to be intentional about bringing diverse students together so that it's not a segregated education. And part of that is again, this is where it gets a little murky because it's hard for me to completely separate my experience from my kids, which is, which is different is will be different. So even though my children are white passing or, you know, probably for the most part are seen as white, I don't think they're going to experience racism like I did. So, so it's not just about protecting them, them from that part of it, but having had the experience of knowing the ways I benefited, the ways that my life was enriched by being around diversity, by being around people who did look like me, who didn't look like me, who ate differently than me, spoke differently than me, all the, all the things, I know how beneficial that was for me. And I want to give that to my children. Mm-hmm. If I can do that, that just feels so powerful to me. Yes. So yes. I'm trying to create that. It's really hard. Like <laughs> it really feels like should be. I don't know why people are so resistant to this idea. I don't know why people don't feel like this is a good thing for everybody. And so, yeah, so it just... I think it comes, I think it comes down to why people don't think it's a good idea. I think it, I think it comes down to white supremacy. I think it comes down, I think it comes down to either a conscious or a subconscious idea that white is better. Mm -hmm. The more white, the better. 
And if you, and if black and brown kids or people are involved, it's going to decline. Yes, I, I, I wholeheartedly agree because that's what I hear, right? Yeah. Well, maybe it'll help those kids, but I don't want it to take away from my kids. Yes. And I, I just feel so strongly the opposite of that. Like, you know, if my kid, my kids would have gone to a really predominantly white school and um, we met with the principal and he said some, I think, unacceptable things that made us decide not to, not to send them there. But I feel like they would have been, I don't know about harmed. I don't know that I would say that, but I don't feel like they would have been served well. No. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I, I, it's, it's hard when somebody has, has not ever lived and moved in a diverse community. Mm -hmm. Um, if they've grown up in a homogeneous community, kind of stuck with a homogeneous niche in college and moved back to homogeneous community, I find that it's almost impossible to convince them that homogeneity is really not the best, <laughs> any kind of homogeneity. So yeah, it's, it, it almost feels like throwing seed to the wind because they're just convinced that, you know, this is fine. And, you know, I talk about living in a global, we have a global economy and not everybody, not every place in the world is like this community. And, you know, your kids are going to go out into the big world, but you know what, maybe they won't, you know, maybe they too will live maybe in a homogeneous community. So, you know. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I hope my kids will like, you know, that's too. part of it too. We try to be intentional about travel and yeah. we try to be intentional about the teams that are, the sports teams that our kids are on, you know, like we drive across the town for them to be a part of a team that isn't the one that's closest to us. Like we try um, to be intentional in the ways that we can. Cause I do, I want them again to have that broader perspective. I yes. want them to see it differently. Yeah. And the younger that they are, where they're around kids who don't look like them, the more comfortable, if that can be maintained, the more likely they are to seek out, people who don't look like them in college and then after. Um, But if they're never exposed to that, then it just feels uncomfortable and other, it just feels too different and too, too easy not to put yourself in the way. Right. And I mean, and that's what the research shows, right? The research shows like, you know, kids who are around people, I don't even think it's just kids, but people who have personal relationships with people of other races are less racist. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> right. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Especially if it's a network, if it's, yes. a, you know, it's not just my one black friend, right, but, exactly. but there's, you know, yeah. So good. So interesting, Melody. I, I, um, I, there's still more I want to know about you, but there, you know, that, that <laughs> but this, I'm partially satisfied for now. Well, I really appreciate you allowing me the space to, to yeah. share. Yeah. Yeah. It's wonderful to have you. Thank you so much for saying yes. Yeah, of course. Thank you. It was a little outside my comfort zone, but um, <laughs> you made it very comfortable. So I appreciate you. I'm glad. <laughs> this was your yes for today. This was my yes for today. Yeah, this was my push myself. <laughs> All right. Well, have a great yeah. day. Thank you. You as well. This is Nicole Doily. Special thanks to Dan Parker for producing Let's Talk. And thank you for listening. Please rate and review. And also check out NicoleDoily.com for some free giveaways. We'll see you next time.